Before we get into this glorious episode of Total Reboot, all about Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, it is my distinct pleasure to finally say that we are but days away from finding Jesus dropping. This is a documentary that Cameron and I have been working on for like the last year and a half. It is a documentary, mystery, investigation, comedy hybrid that we made in partnership with our friends over at Auntie Donna and Screen Australia. It's directed by Max Miller. It stars Cameron and I, and we are chasing our biggest mystery yet. If you've listened to Finding Drago and Finding Desperado, our beloved mystery investigation podcast, you kind of have an idea of what we do. But we have amped everything up with this one. This is a visual feast. It's a visual manifestation of everything that we tried to achieve on those. And it is the biggest mystery yet. The first couple of mysteries that we've solved, we've been the only maniacs trying to solve them, pulling on those threads, unraveling them. This time, we are solving a mystery that has perplexed many online sleuths before us. Hundreds of people have tried to solve this, but we are testing our minds, our bodies, our souls to solve this one. And this is a mystery all about Kanye Quest 3030, a mysterious video game that was uploaded to the internet in 2013, basically anonymously, where you play as Kanye West, the famous rapper, going around and battle rapping other famous rappers from history in attempt to become the number one. That's fascinating enough as it is. It's a Pokemon-style RPG that's very funny. It was a viral sensation. I played it at the time. But the mystery only begins there. Two years after the game came out, when it was basically forgotten, someone found a hidden level. In this hidden level, you have to answer all these cryptic codes, and after defeating it, the game reaches out to you in real life, promising you ascension. People have believed that this means this game is a recruitment tool for a new age cult of ascensionists that believe in transhumanist ideals like becoming immortal through technology, becoming one with the internet through a singularity. So we ask those big questions. Who the frick made this game? And was it a recruitment tool for a new age cult called Ascensionism? This is basically the biggest mystery in video game history that has not been solved. And it is the Finding Jesus itself is a visual manifestation of every dream we ever had making these mystery documentaries. Uh, It is so beautifully directed by Max Miller. It's so funny. The Auntie Donna gang are so funny in it playing with us. And it is crazy. It's really wild. I cannot wait for you guys to see it. It is dropping on the Grouse House YouTube page on Monday, the 26th of September, days away, as soon as the weekend ends. Make sure you subscribe to Grouse House now, though, because the trailer is dropping basically as you're listening to this. So you can see and get a glimpse of what the frick is going on in Finding Jesus. Until then, subscribe, like, hit the frickin' bell to get those notifications from Grouse House, the YouTube page where there's so much cool new Aussie comedy content. But we are breaking down those doors right now with Finding Jesus. Here's a little sneak of what the trailer sounds like. Enjoy today's episode because it's going to be a whole new frickin' world from next week. But then weird shit started happening, so shit follows you. You just feel like something's going on. I'm Cameron James. And I'm Alexi Toliopoulos. We're two journalism degree dropouts obsessed with solving mysteries. But there's one mystery that remains unsolved, involving a famous rapper and a cult. What the frick is Ascensionism? To make ourselves immortal. Our future's already been played out. I found the Ascensionism symbol on 4chan. It's one of the scarier places to go online. Children of all ages, check out 4chan. The court can send you to jail. Whoa, you're just pissed off. I'm not even pissed off. We are literally closer than anyone else in the world has ever come. Are you feeling ready? Yeah. Do we have time for a toilet break or...?
Welcome to your ascension. I told you it was freaking crazy, right? So hit that link in the show notes. Subscribe to Grouse House. Check out the trailer right now as well. You've just heard it. Have a freaking look at it. It's on the Grouse House YouTube page. Man, I can't wait for you to see this. <laughs> Enjoy today's podcast. vision dims. All that remains are memories of a podcast about movies. The only one on the internet to discuss them, that is. Hosted by two of Australia's finest podcasters, Alexi Toliopoulos, and with him as always, Cameron James. And my favourite miniseries that I remember from back in the day when podcasts were a thing was one that discussed the films released in the summer of 1982. Of course, not the summer in Australia, but the American summer, when Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, was released one year later after its Australian release. This is the story of that of that podcast happening in real time. We're back in the present day. Alexi Toliopoulos here, Cameron James over there. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, a little bit of my dramatic chops being showed off there for everybody. That was really good to see you slip back into acting mode, you know. You, mm. you obviously long-time listeners of this show will know that you began life as a young dramatist, a young mm-hmm. actor in school performing monologues from films such as <laughs> Glengarry Glen Ross. Of course, I learned from Mammoth all my acting yeah. skills and ability, the repartee, the tete-a-tete, the dialogue of it all. That's what I'm inspired by, dialogue. And it's interesting because this movie is a rather stripped back in the dialogue. <laughs> it doesn't have much dialogue going on in this movie. <laughs> if Kevin Smith did a rewrite on this, I mean, he'd wow. have a lot of room to work in, a lot of blank white areas on the page. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of smoochy boochy boochies. Imagine, I'd actually love to see Jane Silent Bob yeah. in the Mad Max sort of setting. And now, what would that be like? It would probably be like this. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I don't even want to do it. I don't even want yeah. to do it. But, you know, let's all use our imaginations and just take mm-hmm. three seconds to imagine what it would be like to have mm-hmm. Jane Silent Bob fucking around in the Thunderdome. Yo, I just came for the freaking weed, man. I'm not even supposed to be fighting in the Thunderdome today. <laughs> That's Dante. Dante's there. Yeah, or, of you course. Know, yeah. Unfortunately, he is fighting in the Thunderdome, Dante. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I um, This movie is an Aussie classic. Mm-hmm. And it's also a, a movie that I'd only seen for the first time last year. Wowza, okay. I remember seeing it earlier on in my days, my days wandering the wastelands of Australia. As an instructional handbook, I watched this movie. But I think my love for it has grown so much over the years. And can I ask you this? Mm. Like me, Cameron, after watching this movie, do you feel it's cinematically nourished? Nourished? As in, do I feel full? Do you feel well fed by Dr. George Miller, a.k.a. George Miliotis? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I want to like this more than I do. Wow. Oh, my God. I'm actually going to kill myself live on the air hearing such controversy like this. I I will even go so far as to say that I like Fury Road more than this. I think that's okay to say. That's not that I actually controversial. Think it's, it's a huge compliment to George Miller to say, mm-hmm. I like one of your more recent movies more yeah. than one of your critically beloved older films. Well, they're both critically adored, and mm. it is nice to be to the guy, I like your new stuff. How thrilled would Bob Dylan be to hear that you love his Christmas album or something like that? He would l- absolutely go crazy to hear something like that. I would lie through my teeth to Bob. If, uh, if I saw Bob Dylan, I got to meet him, I'd say, you know what? I love Here Comes Santa, my favorite track of yours from the last five years. But in my head, I'd be really thinking... 
absolute dog shit <laughs> piece of crap song. Yeah. One of the worst songs of all time. <laughs> the only good thing about it is the Nash Edgerton directed music video. Mm-hmm. And, Joel, and Bobby would be just like, wow, thank you so much, man. No one's ever seen that before. I'd be like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock, because it's an absolute <laughs> turd. Hang on a second. You just freaking did a 180 on me, man. Why are you making fun of me to what my face? What the freaking hell, man? <laughs> What the hell, man? Life's like a rolling stone. One day you're tumbling down something nice, and next you're tumbling down some shit, and you're the shit, mister. <laughs> but look, it's still it's still cool. I really I, I do enjoy it, but I think both times I've watched it, I have found my my attention waning a few times wow. within the film. I actually, I like the first one a lot. I like the third one a lot. Mm-hmm. I like the fourth one a lot. But wow. this one might be the one that bores me the most. I th- oh my lord! This is this is a rather unique take, I'd say, because I I like them all. And obviously, you know, I'm a kind of guy that loves Thunderdome, the underappreciated psycho threequel. I love that kind of shit. Mm. Uh, but I just think this one is such a clean movie. Like it is. Just cinematic, per- not cinematic perfection, but, you know, what I'm trying to say is this is a film that just sp- speaks in the language of cinema and in the communica- communication of vision meets sound. And it doesn't need dialogue. Like, there's dialogue in this, but this could be a dialogue-free experience. And it's just like the expertise of a master communicator, Mr. Excuse me. Sorry, 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 doctor. so sorry. Doctor, doctor. Thank doctor. You. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. Mm. He didn't spend freaking 10 years in medical school to be called Mr. No way. He's not a schmo like us or Bob Dylan. This guy's yeah. a freaking medical <laughs> doctor. Do you, would you like Bob Dylan more if his name was Bob Schmo? Bob Schmo. Yeah, of course. What is crazy? Or, or even if he was called Just Some Schmo. Like if that was his name, <laughs> Just Some Schmo. <laughs> I'm like, look, that guy rules just some schmo, man. He's so good. Do you remember like 10 years ago, there was like this indie artist called Seasick Steve? Seasick Steve? Yeah. And he's, he was like a folk singer and his whole backstory was that he was a hobo who used to ride the rails and sing songs. Uh-huh. And everyone was like, man, Seasick Steve rocks. He's so good. It's like, yeah. you know, blah, blah. And then after like five years, someone was like, hang on. I think that's just some guy from Seattle who's been playing in bands forever and his name's like Phil or something like that. And immediately we didn't give a fuck. (laughs) The reinvention is one of the most classic things. Like, I would die for that to just go one day, well, you hear that movie podcaster? I heard that he used to be a hobo on the trains once upon a time. I know. I'd love to be someone who used to ride the rails. Um, I'd also like to be someone who wandered the wasteland. I think there's something very appealing about the Mad Max mythos. To me, I think it's endlessly cool that every movie picks up an undetermined amount of time after the Mm -hmm. last where other adventures have taken place and we don't ever get to see them or really even hear about them. I do love that shit. And, uh, And I also love that they're kind of, because they're set in the future, they're able to be westerns and samurai films and science mm-hmm. fiction films all in one i think mm. that's this one particularly feels like um like a man with no name movie or something like absolutely it's like a wandering ronin film yeah yeah he's just protecting a no town name. from marauders like that's that's such a isn't that the exact plot of um fistful of dollars or something he it's exact plot of like hundreds of spaghetti westerns and Ronin yeah. films and samurai films. I think that this is like such an interesting conglomeration of them all. Like it really does feel like spaghetti western, but even harkens back to like samurai cinema more with like the sparseness mm. and the visual storytelling uh, that we see coming through those things. But also it's like the mythologizing, like it's all about the mythology and the myth building and how myth building is created in in the wastelands, in the future, just as it was in the past. And I think with this one, to me, it's not just that 
kind of fistful of dollars, yo Jimbo type thing. When I watch it now, the last few times I've seen it, I remember I had a bit of a revelation when I saw it probably like three or four years ago that this movie is totally Star Wars, but mm, stripped yeah, back totally. and sparse. Yeah. Like the whole thing is like this rebellion trying to destroy the people that are ruling over them. And the whole thing feels like if Star Wars was only the build-up to the Death Star being destroyed. Yeah, man. I 100% hear if Star Wars was Aussie. Oh, my Lord, that would make an awesome three-minute video. (laughs) That would be an awesome three-minute video. I'd kill to see some funny comedian, like a YouTube Mm -hmm. comedian, do a dub of Star Wars movies, but they're doing Aussie accents. That would be so funny. God, it would be so funny. Oi, oi, Yoda, (laughs) chuck us that bloody lightsaber, would you, mate? See, that would be a great cameo, but I don't think you and I are the guys to make this kind of thing. You and I would be more like, what if Star Wars was Bob Dylan meets Kevin Smith? It's kind of more in our wheelhouse of what we would be making as a parody video. I, I enjoy all these movies way more than the Star Wars movies. I'm not, And I'm not someone who doesn't like Star Wars either. Like, I, mm. You know this about me. I want to like all these things way more yeah. than I do. Exactly, and, and that's you're a classic not, Fox Mulder type when it comes to this kind of I pop culture I want to believe shit. in it. I want to believe mm-hmm. in it. It's not. I'm. I will never be one of those people that is incredibly anti Star Wars mm-hmm. or incredibly pro it. I think it's all very interesting and cool and fun entertainment. But I never, I never quite grab it. It's a rare area where you're almost anti snark. You're almost snark free around this shit as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I'd find it lame to make fun of people that like Star Wars and all that stuff. Mm. It's. I totally get why people like it. It is cool. It's fun. They're mm-hmm. sick, entertaining movies. And but to, anyway, to me, the Mad Max ones are way more in my wheelhouse. I think maybe because they're quite gritty and grounded and dirty. And they are Australian, and there's that element of it that I really like as well. But Mm -hmm. but there's always something that keeps me a little bit at arm's length from speculative sort of science fiction like this. And I think what it comes down to is that I watch the movies and I go, yeah, fuck, that is crazy, that thing that you just made up. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, fuck, it would be hectic if we had to, like, Fight in the desert over gasoline and yeah. water. Shit. Well, that is that the nature of speculative <laughs> fiction. Of like, it wouldn't it be hectic if wouldn't this happened? Wouldn't it be fucking hectic if this made up thing I just made up happened? Yeah, it would, and it is cool. Wow. But unfortunately, it doesn't a hundred percent drag me in. Wow. Well, one day, Cameron, when you're out there and destruction has laid waste to I'll the cities, mm. you'll be like, oh shit, these were prophetic visions of the future. I think maybe I'd like them more if we were living in a genuine apocalypse. And I'd these were able- the only pieces of entertainment we had? Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, if they had other things too. <laughs> like all the Judd Apatow movies still around and shit. I actually probably would prefer the Judd Apatow movies. If we're in- This is my speculative fiction. If we are living in a wasteland world and the early two things that we have uh, is the Judd Apatow produced comedies of the 2010s and the mm. 2000 era- or the Mad Max quadrilogy plus I'm hoping Furiosa gets made before everything just gets destroyed. I probably would prefer the entertainment of Judd Apatow because it will be unlike my life. Whereas now my mm. life very much is a Jud- Judd Apatow movie at its greatest moments. That um I you know, now I long for the the fiction of George, Dr. George. Well, I think we should dive in and talk about it. We've clearly got some opinions here. Let's Hash it out in the wastelands. In the future, cities will become deserts. Roads will become battlefields. And the hope of mankind will appear as a stranger. alone against all odds. He may be the best chance we've got. The Road Warrior. Pray that he's out there. Somewhere. We'll be discussing the movie 
from 1981 in Australia, 1982 in America, known as Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, known as Just The Road Warrior in America, um, because of confusion with that first movie not being quite popular or well-known there, so they just made this appear like it was a movie that came out of the ether, directed by Dr. George Miller. We're going to kick off our discussion with a little segment called Love That Logline. Cameron, mm. out there on the internet, you have searched yeah. in longing for mm-hmm. something that will pray tell about the exploits of Mad Max the Road Warrior. A synopsis, if you will. You're going to read it out to me. I'm going to let you know if I love it or hate it. But whatever I do, I must rate it. You got to rate it. You got to rate it. Okay, so I've found a synopsis out here on a website called moviehousememories.com. Have you heard of this website? I've not, but I feel moved to hear it. I, people don't say movie house very often. Mm. And very rarely. I usually use the word cinema, multiplex, theater. Movie house, beautiful terminology. And this guy seems to have a rich attachment to it that would be elicit many memories of his mind or Can- their minds. Can I tell you, I I was doing stand-up the other night and I said the word cinema on stage Mm -hmm. and uh, there was a hens night of hens in the crowd and one of them went, cinema, and they all started laughing at the fact that I called it the cinema. Fuck, that's like a nightmare. that. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong? What, you want me to call it the fucking movies? The flicks? Grow up, girls. It's a cinema. Go at those hens like a rabid beast ripping oh them apart. My God. Cameron. I was like a wolf in the hen house. I went crazy oh on Lord. these gals. Good Lord, the dancing bear has pulled out a bat and is beating the ladies. <laughs> All right. So I found um I found a synopsis on moviehousememories.com. Now I just want to warn you, there's two separate mm-hmm. synopses on okay. the one page. They both seem to be written by the same person. Wow, we love a guy that has two cracks he had at two, the egg. <laughs> two cracks at it. And I'll tell you, one crack is a little more racist and homophobic oh than the God. other crack. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, maybe. I'll read out the one that has no racism or homophobia. Okay. But if we're feeling up to it, I might delve in and give you some highlights <laughs> from the second one. Well, we're going to put the trigger warning up right now. Cameron will be reading something from Movie House Memories, a known cesspit of ideas on the internet. Okay, here we go. Here's the first one. Max Rockatanaski wanders the deserted highways of an energy-starved dystopian Australia after eradicating followers of the Knight Rider. Max finds himself roaming the endless wasteland, scavenging for food and precious petrol. Out in the scorched wilderness... He happens upon a small oil refinery. However, Good Lord, this guy loves some freaking adjectives. Yeah, I like a, lot, it. a lot going on here. However, Lord Humongous's barbarian horde of biker warlords, hell bent on destruction and mayhem, lay siege to it. In order to get his hands on as much gas as he can carry, Max must provide a defenseless community with a deserted truck to transport the gasoline to safety. Nothing goes to plan. Well, I hate to give this guy compliments, so <laughs> I'm just going to say, yeah, it's a, it's a synopsis, you know? Okay, here's, um, here's a brief bit of the second one, and I just mm-hmm. want to reiterate, these words are not mine. Yeah. These are the words of moviehousememories.com. Can I make a suggestion, Cameron? Mm-hmm. Because I fear... You know, we're on the precipice of a new exciting project coming out. People will be hounding to cancel us. And they could strip you Mm. and your voice saying these things and saying, listen to what this goober is actually like. He's evil. Can I make a suggestion? You should do it as a Bob Dylan impression (laughs) so no one could ever take your voice and use it against you at this moment. Oh my god! I don't. I think that might even be worse because it'll be doing an impression of a famous Jewish man. I don't know if I want to do that. I'll just. I just want to give you one line because there are some worse words in this that I'm not going to read out, and I wouldn't even dream to. But I want to read out this one bit for you, um, Alexi. Um, in a desolate world, far from civilized man, in a world where we don't need another hero. Max Rokotinaski finds himself as one in a crusade against roving gangs of homosexual hoodlums in the Australian outback. Honestly, I love that. 
I think that's actually kind of gorgeous. Because obviously I'm having a queer reading of Mad Max anyway. I dare not go further to when <laughs> this guy takes a turn for the strange. But, yeah. you know, these guys are wearing leather. They have exposed buttocks and often are quite uh, devious in the way that they uh, taunt Max and uh, other people out there in the wilderness. That is hard not to have a, a homosexual reading of Mad Max. That's interesting. I, You know what? That... I, I that never crossed my mind when I was watching this movie. Really, the guy, the main villain is uh, called Lord Humongous, yes, and he's dressed yes, in leather, yes. and yeah. he's got exposed nipples. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's camp as fuck. Mm-hmm. But I, I it wouldn't be stray for me to see Priscilla driving across that, <laughs> wheel, that wasteland. Across. Yes, but, but the thing is, like all sci-fi, especially this type of shit, mm. is just filled with dudes in thongs and. Like really muscly, oiled up baddies with names mm. that are phallic. You know what I mean? Like it's all. How's this different to Conan the Barbarian or like any other number of science fiction films? I don't know the name of it, but that one where Sean Connery, that photo of Sean oh, Connery, and he's like weird yeah. g-string. Zardoz, Zardoz. <laughs> do you, you do you know what Zardoz is? No. So it's like a sci-fi fantasy movie, John Borman or whatever, I think, directed it. I watched it. I loved it, obviously. That's my shit. Movies that will have a really obvious queer reading that are set in a fantastical universe. Zardoz, in the movie, spoiler for anyone that wants to see Zardoz, Zardoz is Wizard of Oz. And it's, they find someone Mm. found like a book and they believe it to be like a prophecy or like a biblical tome. And all that's left on the cover, all the rest of the letters have fallen off. Zard Oz is that's on there. That's all that's there. Jesus Christ. I had no idea that's what it was. And they made a whole movie out of it. Crazy stuff. So you you love a queer reading. Is there... Give me the queer reading of this then, other than the fact that the guy's name's Lord Humongous, which is clearly the name of a dildo. So, like, tell well, me, wh- what is what is more... It starts and ends there, brother. That's it. all I really have. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's less a queer reading and more a queer glance at the film. Yeah, a queer glance, perhaps, <laughs> you know? But like you said, this, this kind of genre is often quite camp. And I think mm. the humour of Mad Max is very bawdy in that camp Australian sense. I think that's something that I really love about the Mad Max movies is they're not afraid to be fucking grubby and crummy Australian representations of the world. And I think that is unique for that. They feel mm. so freaking Aussie and so ochre. And I think that part of like what you and I love in Australian media and part of what we love in Australian humor, I think weirdly does descend through Mad Max at a certain point. Yeah. Can you explain to our overseas listeners what the word ochre means? That's a word that you just said to describe mm. the humor and the language of this film. Um, well, allow me to describe it in song for you. I'm a bloke. I'm an ocker. Boy, I'd really love those knockers. Is that how it goes? <laughs> it probably doesn't have boy in it. It doesn't say boy. <laughs> yeah, but it is like bawdy humor. Ocker is kind of uh, Australian almost dialect. It's uh, a way of life almost, which is like, I guess... Uh, I think it's slang. working class. I'd call I'd, working class. I would ephemera. define it as you know the the Australian equivalent of the Cockney South London mm. accent or yes. the um, in America the Southern states. Like you're, mm-hmm. uh, you're normally people would say redneck, right? Which is another mm. one of those loaded words. I think mm. ochre is in the ballpark of that. And it's associated with working class comedy, working class sense of humor, mm. um, the way that like people talk to each other when they work blue collar jobs. And um, you know, I come from Newcastle, which is a pretty blue collar place. I mm. grew up around these guys, so when I hear the language in Mad Max, I feel like I'm fucking back home, mate. I feel like it's just whenever there's a guy that I can't understand what he's saying. 
But he's gone, yeah, you bloody got because you're going for a fucking over there. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's my uncle. That's my uncle. Oh, mate. you get that guy. You feel <laughs> you feel the heartstrings being plucked in those moments. <laughs> Bruce Spence pops up out of some sand oh. and goes, put the bloody snake down. I'm like, oh, shit, my granddad's here, I guess. Oh, Fuck. Poppy. We miss you, Poppy. <laughs> Pop's here, I guess. Fuck. <laughs> I think the thing that I am so drawn to in this version of Mad Max that I think evolves as each movie comes along is that each time we are reintroduced to this world as if it's a different storyteller regaling us of the mythology of Mad Max as a futuristic mythological figure that wanders the wasteland. And I think this introduction is far and away my absolute favorite of them all. Totally. I think that opening sequence with the narration that I so beautifully mimicked at the start of this episode (laughs) is just some of my favorite screenwriting and visual interpretation of scripts ever. That it begins in black and white, almost like a newsreel footage Mm -hmm. of like World War II, revolutions, all the stuff that in the 20th century we associate with the dawning of a new age and Mm. also uh, like the demise of mankind, all of those things. And using 20th century imagery of it all and it looks like it's from the past. It's It's in association with the way things were, the way things almost ended up for us. And it being channeled into this future vision while still Mm -hmm. looking like newsreel footage is freaking fantastic. And then it kind of bleeds into the imagery of the first film as the newsreel footage is going through as well. And it gives us like this historical feeling while grounding it in such a stylistic choice, Mm -hmm. I think is just magnificent. Some of the best exposition ever put to film. Love that opening. Love the recontextualizing of the first film as a mm-hmm. sort of myth a mythic memory. I mm. love that. And I, I I tell you what else I love is a little choice from George Miller here and throughout all the films actually is um and maybe maybe this is less less so of a carryover from the first one, but it happens more from two, three and four is the recasting of actors as different characters. Yeah. I remember when I first discovered that Bruce Spence was playing a different character in two and three or, um, you know, that the villain from the first one, the fourth one were the same. Hugh Keys Burn. I love Hugh Keys Burn. I remember thinking like, what a fucking crazy choice. Why would you do that? But since I've gone back and rewatched a lot of those old spaghetti westerns over the last few years, mm. that happens a lot in those too. You see, like Always. Lee Van Cleef playing different characters in all three um, mm-hmm. Sergio like fistful movies. Yeah, or but always the same costume, same kind of like Clint. Yes, Clint is always different character. He's, He's not, you know, not blue eyes and one. Yeah, it's like different characters, and it's it's kind of almost a tradition in a way to mm. to kind of pull you out of ever tr- ever embracing this movie as a reality yeah. and more looking at it as like a fable. It kind of it's mm. like theater or something. Like, hey, look, these got the the cast of actors have rolled back into town to tell yeah. us a different story that's a fake from the wasteland yeah and i, I think it love that i absolutely love it i think you're so spot on i'd never put together that spaghetti western leonis of that element i was watching this all day going like oh you can see the leona all over it mm. i never thought about it that way before either like even jean maria volante playing uh the two villains mm. of the first two uh, fistful movies, the first two films in the Dollars trilogy, completely different villains, completely different characters, completely different characterizations as well. And Bruce Spence and Hugh Keysburn yeah. as great examples of that, where they're completely different characters, totally different characterizations, but in the same role in each film, they both serve mm. as either a villain or that like I guess Bruce Spence is the fool kind of in yeah, these kind of yeah, like epic sure. tales. It's it's really fun. It kind of like it takes you out of it but in a good way because it makes the thing bigger than mm. bigger than just like a literalization. It becomes storytelling itself. And I, f- I find that so fun to imagine it that this is just a cast of like a cast of wandering Shakespearean actors who come in and out of the plays as they want to and mm. play sort of the same types of characters. 
I find it. Yeah. I love it, and and also I just fucking love Bruce Spence. I absolutely love Bruce Spence, dude. Should we just give him a freaking Oscar right here, right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. We haven't even discussed this in advance, but I mean, who else mm-hmm. were we going to give it to? It was. It had to be Bruce Spence. He is the epitome, the the kind of icon of Australian cinema character actor incarnate for me because he has such a defined mm. look. Yep, he has yep, such yep. an interesting look. He is like six foot five. He's huge. Mm. He's so tall. He's so lanky. His head is like probably six foot two yeah. alone. Yeah, he's, he's got, got a big s- dome on the guy. He's got such like a long, interesting head. His mouth is humongous. He's so funny. Um, I've seen him in person, and he's so tall, he, and I couldn't talk to him. I was so intimidated because <laughs> I just have known him my whole life. Mm, yeah. um, but he is such a fascinating guy. He's been in, like, Australian sitcoms. Is it Kings? What's Kingswood Country? Kingswood the Country. One? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, And a lot of film, obviously. Like, a Stork lot of films is a big Australian scene. film. Yeah. Stork, Mad Dog Morgan. Um mm-hmm. God, a million, you know, and, and of course, The Matrix, uh, which one is he in? Mm. The third one? He's the in Revolution. the third one. Revolutions. Yes. Dark City. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Finding Nemo, he's one of the main, he's a great voice character in that. And the fucking Lord of the Rings, of course. He's a few things in Lord of the Rings, but he's the mouth of Sauron, most mm. notably in, I believe, the extended version of Return of the King. The The mouth of Sauron is the character who speaks to Aragorn um, in just before that final battle. He is such a great role for him. I love him in Star Wars, where he's like one of those tall... He's this tall guy with weird lines down his head. Imagine if he was in Star Wars and was just a normal guy, not like a freaking <laughs> strange alien. It's like, yeah, he's a human. He's just a normal guy. He's Luke's buddy. But he's like, no, you get that guy. you got to put him in prosthetic because no one looks like him and he can carry those prosthetics and create these really abstract, interesting performances for those kind of characters. Man, I fucking love him so much. Yeah, same. He's also like, you and I kind of pride ourselves and make a little game mm-hmm. out of the fact that we love character actors and we know yes. all their names. I think Bruce Spence is one of the first character actors that I was proud to know the name of, you know? Mm-hmm. Whenever he yeah. popped up in something, I'd be like, fucking Bruce Spence, man. Yeah, That's and he's hard Spence. to miss. Yeah, yeah. He's hard s- to miss. You see the guy. <laughs> You know him. Like, I would say, like, the mouth of Sauron, the only thing you can see of the actual actor is his mouth, and that's got prosthetic all over it. You watch it, you go, Bruce Spence, I know it's him, I know those (laughs) teeth, I know that lip. (laughs) Yeah, happy to give him the Oscar. Very exciting stuff. I wonder if he's ever won any actual awards. Oh, do you want to have a quick look? Let me have a look. I think he might have won an actor. Yeah, yeah, he did. He Stork? won uh, an actor for Stork, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stork is a pretty fun Aussie comedy from that new wave era just before mm. the Mad Max movies. I think one thing that you were saying so that really like hit me so nicely about this, these films being like these legacy of storytelling almost, I think George Miller is such a master storyteller. I mm. think- Change that doctor, put in master. Yeah, he is a master. He rocks. I think that- he is so interested in storytelling and so interested in like how we interpret them. So much of his movies involve mythology, whether it be modern mythology or looking back. I just saw 3,000 Years of Longing, his film that like looks back at a lot of like the 1001 Nights, like, you know, the mm. Arabic uh, mm-hmm. storytelling that is like known as like a cornerstone of where mythology and modern narrative comes from. Mm. And I think that he is such an interesting guy because he takes those ideas of the written word and like how we take stories how we mythologize and I think he's one of the people that most successfully translates it to the screen by being like a beautiful visual communicator Mm, yeah absolutely I went through a bit of a George Miller phase during the lockdown and caught up with some of his flicks that I hadn't quite seen before beyond Mm -hmm. the Mad Max movies and it kind of for the first time surprised me I guess I guess I'd taken him for granted a little bit over the years, mm. and I just kind of always thought, yeah, he's the Mad Max guy, and he's done some yeah. other shit as well. But you know, I caught up with um, Witches of Eastwick, which is a movie yeah. that I think I'd avoided for most of my life. Um, Lorenzo's Oil, which of course we've made a few g- gags about in the past. Yes, my favorite Cameron James 
gag of all time is Lorenzo's oil bit. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, Babe Pig in the City, I rewatched that as well. And it really oh, did dawn on me for the that. first time that his sensibility is, it, it's like, I don't want to say, look, it's it's dark. He has a very hmm. dark sensibility, but it is purely visual storytelling. All these things could almost be silent hmm. films. You could watch Witches of Eastwick with the sound off and still be like, oh, okay, so I guess Jack Nicholson's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I guess these chicks are witches and he's the devil. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Like they're visual movies, all of them. Mm. Maybe Lorenzo Zola relies a little more on dialogue than the others, mm. but they are his visual storytelling is so dark and almost cartoonish and almost like expressionistic, where I feel like I can get the entire film with the sound down. Mm, that's so interesting. When I was researching this, I found the version of Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, that Miller considers the best version of this film. And it is a version that he made simply for the scoring process of the film, which is a black and white in high contrast version, which is what mm. they used to score it. And that was only used because it was the cheapest one to print at the time. And he just fell in love with this movie just being so visual in that high contrast black and white, that stark imagery with just the score going over it. And that's kind of what inspired that later version mm. of Fury Road, the black and chrome edition, which he also considers to be the pinnacle of all the Mad Max films and what he thinks is the definitive version of that film, which is the black and chrome version in high contrast black and white. I, I didn't see black and chrome. Is it, uh, I mean, did you did you watch it? Ah, uh, no, no. Yeah, it sounds crazy. <laughs> it's. I mean, it sounds cool, but um, every time I've watched that, I've only seen Fury Road maybe since this came came out. I saw it once in the cinemas. I've seen it maybe two times since then, mm. and each time I just want to go. I just want that. This, I want to recapture what I had in the cinema mm. rather than keep exploring further. But I think I, I owe it to myself. I owe it to Dr. George to watch that black and chrome edition as well. But it's just that that was such an invigorating moment. Seeing that movie in the cinema almost felt like it came out of nowhere. Mm. Especially he hadn't been he hadn't made a movie in like a decade or something. And to just He'd see- He made Happy Feet. <laughs> and he made Happy Feet too. But I think even that- I think there was still almost 10 years after that before Fury Road. When did Happy Feet 2 come out? Uh, Happy Feet. Co-directed by Gary Eck, a Sydney headliner. That's true. <laughs> Happy Feet. Happy Feet, the original, was 2006. Happy Feet 2 mm -hmm. was 2011. Oh, and okay. So and then Fury Road was Fury Road, 2015. So wow, it was, okay. it wasn't that long ago, but it had been wow. a long time between live-action movies. His previous live-action film was Babe Pig in the City, which, That's a visual feast as well. As I meant, yeah, I rewatched it again mm -hmm. uh, about a year and a half ago, and I don't know if I love it. I think it's fucking insane. I think mm. it's um, but I think it's really fucking cool to watch. It's really interesting and and bizarre and such a crazy decision. It's the Gremlins two of the Babe universe, yeah. you know. Like it's just exactly. Hey, we're gonna take everything you loved about Babe and um, not give you any of it, and just make fun mm -hmm. of you for liking it. Yeah. He is sick, man. Like he's a he's a sick brother. I love George. <laughs> love Doctor George. And then when we talked about uh, Mad Max last year, I believe, when we were doing the Australian Psycho miniseries, uh, mm. we talked about how he was inspired by being like a paramedic doctor, and like the it was a long time, basically a summer where in Australia, summer is notorious for like road accidents and like lots of carnage on the roads. And he talked about his experiences as a doctor uh, working in the emergency department, funding mm. his film career with that and inspiring him to make Mad Max that way. It's so interesting to see that evolve into something entirely different. Like that film feels mm. so so nasty and so uh, so like grounded in the carnage of all that and it makes so much sense for him to go like yeah that was my apocalypse movie now everything that happens in the universe after that is post apocalypse we're in a world that is so mm. beyond that cuz you can watch if you watch that mad max 1 
by itself, mm. these films never came out. And if you were like, yeah, it's a movie about the apocalypse, a post-apocalyptic, people would think you're insane. Yeah, it's 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 just a movie set in the seventies in Australia, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Maybe like three <laughs> years later, after some weird shit's gone on, like it's not barely even. It's just like, oh yeah, I guess it's some shitty outback town where like a yeah. bunch of bikers hang out. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not apocalyptic. This one gets closer to it. Um, you know, like there's genuine societies that have mm. built themselves out in the desert, which is kind of cool, and they're trying to keep fuel pumping and trying to side themselves off. But then by the fourth one, it's like, yeah, the whole, by the way, the whole world's a desert now. There's like Mm. one bit of water in this whole fucking world. Yeah. It's cool shit. When we're talking about Miller as a visual director, there's one sequence I just really love and it just speaks to like the wordless nature of this film and its language is the moment where Bruce Spence and Max are, spying on this oil refinery that's out Mm. there in the desert. There's an oil refinery run by Lord Humongous and his barbarians, and uh, they have captured two settlement dwellers, a man and a woman, and you're seeing them be basically taunted, tortured, and toyed with. The triple T, if you will, of the Mad Max universe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, And you see them both looking. Max has got binoculars. Bruce Spencer's got this giant telescopic lens, like this Mm. huge golden telescope, and they swap between each other. And you're seeing the action unfold through the telescopic lens. There's one great moment where you see them taunting this woman. It's like really disturbing and then just cuts back to Bruce Spence and even without there's no audio of like what happens there's no there's no thud or anything like that but you can tell that they've just killed her just by Bruce Spence's performance and I think that is like such an elegant use of cinematic language that feels like you know that Eisenstinian uh, mm. Russian montage idea of images corresponding and juxtaposing with each other to tell a story visually. And I think that he's one of the few guys that nails it as hard as that. It's really good point. And it's also, I don't know the name of it, but it's that it's that technique where we get set up, like it tricks our brain through editing to make us fill in the blank of what happened mm. off screen. I can't remember the name for that technique, but you... You see a certain repetition of images and then you see the setup to a, something and it cuts away and we know what happens next. And because we've filled it in in our brain, it makes it more powerful in some... I can't remember the, tech, the name of this technique. Some mm. fucking film nerd wrote about it a while ago and I went psycho for it. But it's one of those yeah. things where we are more moved because we were forced to creatively invent that image in our head of what happened to the woman and uh, mm. I mean, the guy's fucking great. Like, what can we say? This guy's yeah. really, this guy's really. Good. How can we praise him enough? <laughs> like, he is just a genius. Give him the freaking OBE or whatever. If he doesn't yeah. want that kind of stuff, just give him ten billion dollars to keep making freaking movies. Uh, I watched this great introduction to the movie that was made for the Blu-ray release, hosted by Leonard Moulton, Mister mm. Movies himself. And Leonard, old Len himself, what he does is he compares that climactic oil rig chase that ties off all the action of this movie, a 13-minute high-octane sequence with when John Ford broke through Hmm. and basically invented action cinema with 1939 Stagecoach, where they are the Stagecoach is basically overrun by Native Americans. And... That's an 11-minute sequence. And he said this was the first time when he saw this in the cinema where he felt like someone had taken that and gone one step further and reinvented action cinema. Do you think, with that in mind, do you think that with Fury Road, he pushed it even further? Absolutely, dude. I I think he's the one guy that can do it. There's been a few people through the years that have, like added something to action. Obviously, we've talked about the Wachowskis quite a bit mm-hmm. and how they kind of redefined action. I think mm-hmm. it wasn't until Fury Road that I saw something different in the action genre. And it was just the fact that we had a whole movie that was one long action mm. sequence that never lost steam. I was kind of... My mind was blown by that movie. 
Mm. There hasn't been much I remember since declaring then, it to be a cinematic miracle at the time. Yeah, it might be a miracle. God damn it. But if there's one guy that creates miracles and can do it again, I really do think it's Dr. George. I, I have such high hopes for whatever Furiosa will be, his next film in this franchise. Which is being filmed in New South Wales as we mm-hmm. speak. Um, Our state. And, and you and I, as far as I know, have not been cast in the movie. As far as I know, we have not been cast. But I think that we should be in it. I would love to play a little Groblet out in the wilderness. I've seen from some some comedy people that we're friends with that they were in the movie. Did you, did really? you see some of this stuff? I'm sure we're I didn't allowed know. to say Who? it because they've been posting on Instagram. But um, David from the Umbilical Brothers was posting photos oh, from yeah. set. That he was in it. He's in 3,000 years. He's in 3,000 years of longing as well. Yeah. He basically does an umbilical brother's set in it by himself. Is he becoming one of George's guys? I think he's one of George's guys. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That's so funny. He's like really (laughs) featured in it. He's only in it for like two minutes, but he gets to take over the movie for two minutes. It's pretty awesome. Oh, my God. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, dude. We got to do it. We got to be in it. We got to be in it. I know that, um, you know, because it's being made locally, I'm not telling too many tales out of school, but my hairdresser's son was cast in the movie. Yeah, I um, was speaking to a sound guy the other day, and he was saying, I'm working on a feature film right now, but I can't say what it is. But all I'll say is, some of the sickest stunts I've ever seen in cinema. And I said, is it Mad Max? And wow. he said, I can't say what it is. And I was like, well, it's Mad Max. Because what else would it be? It's What the fuck else It's would so it be? good because <laughs> he had the perfect out to say no. If you asked if it's Mad Max and he said no, <laughs> and then whispered, it's actually it's technically it's Mad Max, it's called Furiosa. Technically. He could have just not. said, he could say, well, technically the answer is no. And yeah. then he, he would be scot-free. Yeah, but, but it's it was yeah. so obvious because what else are they? They're not shooting anything else in New South Wales that I'm aware of. Um, it's Heartbreak High. Oh yeah, apart from a TV show, <laughs> a TV show about horny teenagers. <laughs> it's got the best stunts I've ever seen in my life. Well, Cameron, we may not be in this one, but what mm-hmm. would you do if oh you yourself were given yes. the rights to make something in the Mad Max universe? Okay, I think the reason that I love particularly Fury Road is that we got to see what this movie and what this world would be like if someone took over the role of Max. I understand with Furiosa, Mm -hmm. it's kind of an origin story of that character and Max is not going to be in it from what I understand. And Mm. that's okay because I really like, that Furiosa character as well. But I think that there is scope to continue the stories of Max as an ever-evolving hero who's kind of a shit dude who comes good with many other different actors playing him, almost in a James Bond-type way for the rest of time. Because who gives a fuck about continuity? It's all myth-making anyway. It's all stories that are being told by side characters. You can make him anyone. It could be fucking Idris Elba for two movies and then fuck off and be oh, someone wow. else. That would be cool. That would be awesome. That would be so sick. I don't know. What would you do with it? Oh, good Lord. Well, probably just make one set in a city before things went down and it ends like that um, <laughs> that Robert Pattinson Remember Me movie where he sees he's in the World Trade Center and sees 9-11 happen. It will be like that, but then he sees like Matt. He like sees the an apocalypse coming. Blow up. Yeah, he sees an apocalypse coming towards Hey, do you know, I've never seen, I've never seen Remember Me, but... Um, mm. I saw a meme about it the other day and I was like, what the fuck is this about? And then I watched the final scene of Remember Me on YouTube without any context of what it was and it's yeah. absolutely batshit insane. It is wild, man. It's so it. wild. I, I remember it exists. I remember it because it came out when I was in my video store days. It mm. was like a new release 
and someone just returned it and they said, brother, you have to watch this. Don't read anything. Get it out tonight and watch this movie. And I put it on as I go, what the hell? Why is this guy insisting that I have seen this, have to see this movie? And I almost turned it off because it's like, what? Like, it's so, um, uh, like, so, uh, like, whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Just like a... Just a nothing romance like, movie. It's like a Nicholas Sparks like, type thing. But then that ending, I was like, fucking <laughs> hell, man. What the hell? It was like it was so shocking to just to find it blank like that yeah. to have no idea what's coming because I was always always going like why is this set like a few years earlier like it was only came out like two thousand eight or something yeah so I was just like well why is this a period piece from like five years ago that's so weird yeah like, oh my yeah. god what the hell dude it's uh I <laughs> yeah it, it's it, insane I read an interview with the screenwriter and he was like yeah mm. people keep shitting on me for using. Um, 9-11 as a twist ending in my rom-com movie that I made with Robin Pattinson. But but you know what? Mm. When 9-11 happened, it took us all by surprise. And that's what I'm trying to say in this movie is that life takes you by surprise. It's like, man, yeah, cool message, but maybe don't put it in a fucking romantic movie, you know? like mm. Just like a dumb, bland, romantic movie. Save it for something else, maybe. I don't know. Well, to me, I think it's interesting. I think it was interesting that they did that and they were just like, yep, yeah, life happens, man. Everyone was living their life. It's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying about that? Yeah, I think that I think that's the way to go. You got to do something like that, like just a normal guy living his life, and at the end you go, "Holy shit, this is Mad Max!" What yeah, the hell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if the cool. movie, say I was making the movie, it would be like you know the life. It would be the life of Cameron James, comedian by mm. day, by night, investigative journalist by day. You're making your projects. You're going through your life, and at the end, you're like, "Wow, awesome! We're going to premiere Finding Jesus." And then at the end, you look out the window, and go, "Oh crap, Mad Max is happening." I look out the window, I see an apocalypse coming towards us, and the camera zooms mm. in on my driver's license, and my middle name is Mad Max. <laughs> Cameron Mad Max James. <laughs> And then everyone's like, oh, hang on, was this a Mad Max prequel? <laughs> the whole time. It's not a prequel, it's set at the same time as the original Mad Max, where it's just normal <laughs> Australia, and then stuff happens. Because that actually would be my uh... top five things of all Mad Max stuff, is everything we've talked about visual language, but one thing that we didn't talk about is in uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, the end they go back to Sydney, and it's just miniatures that have been destroyed. Love that. Absolutely love that. God, that's so funny. Oh God. Okay, good. We got And they look it. like miniatures. They don't look like <laughs> yeah. it doesn't look like oh wow, it's city. It's like, no, it looks like a toy. I yeah. love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God. So we gotta make this movie. It's gonna happen. It'll be an alternate ending for something we make one day, I'm sure. <laughs> I think that's an idea that is going in the back pocket for yeah, a riff. We'll stick on that. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be discussing... Well, we've got two big ones left. And after dipping away from genre with Garp and making our way slowly back into the wasteland with Mad Max 2, we're going to round out this series with two genre staples, two blockbuster, Mm -hmm. banger 1982 hits. First of all, we've got to do Blade Runner. We got Blade Runner. It is a freaking classic. We got to do Blade Runner. It is a movie that is literally studied in Australian yeah. high schools. Yep, yep, I studied it. Good lord. Yeah, we studied it in school. It is a prescribed text yeah. in Aussie classrooms. And then I went back to school, so, Billy Madison style, and studied Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Of course, that was an iconic time in our lives in twenty sixteen when Cameron went back to high school. <laughs> And then we'll probably round out the series. We've had a few people recommending this one. Mm-hmm. And in the past, we have actually done it before. But uh, yeah. I think it's worth going back in on it. In fact, someone stopped me on the street and asked if we were going to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think... Are we going to say that we're going to do it? I think we should do it. 
Okay, well, that's it. That's how we're tying off this miniseries. Back-to-back episodes coming out a week after each other of two films that came out on the very same day in 1982. Two films that have stood the test of time. Their legacy has grown. They were not hits back in 1982, but in the year of our Lord, 2022, could there be two bigger genre icons and known as masterpieces throughout cinema than Ridley Scott's Blade Runner Mm -hmm. and closing out the miniseries right after it will be John Carpenter's The Thing. The Thing. The Thing. The Thing. The Thing. This Thing of Ours. This Thing thing of of Ours. Okay, that's not due for the reboot. Let's put that in. (laughs) Yeah, one of the great mob movies. (laughs) This Thing of Ours. So we're going to be closing out two sci-fi masterpieces at the end of this mini-series. Until then, what do we have to plug, Cammy? We've got Finding Yeezus coming out on September 26. Six episodes, each coming out on Monday. Uh, very exciting stuff. I can't wait. I can't wait for everyone to see it. We worked our assholes mm-hmm. off on Finding Yeezus, and it's a very exciting mystery. And, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything or give too much away, but I will say we're very happy with how it all turned out. And it is coming out, if you're listening to this on the Friday that it is released, Finding Jesus comes out as soon as your weekend is over. Mm. And you can start your new life on that Monday with Finding Jesus. And I will say this, people are used to us as podcasts, casters, we, we are podcasts as well, technically. Mm, yeah, technically. But on, on the technicality, yeah, I'm a podcast, okay? <laughs> if you prick me, I do bleed data and RSS I feed, bleed okay? web and audio. files. <laughs> but people know us as podcasters. They've loved the Finding series as podcasts. I cannot overstate that this is not a podcast. It is fully a visual documentary Mm. with psycho visuals inspired by something we've talked about on this podcast. The Millennium Mindfuck era of movie making is embedded in this series. It is not a podcast that's got some visualization. It is fucking movie, dude. Like, it is crazy what we made. Yeah, we made a fucking visual feast a sumptuous mm-hmm. visual feast. As Alexi said, Millennium Mindfuck inspired, documentary inspired, filmic, cinematic, crazy mm-hmm. ass investigative comedy. It is yes. it is our currently our masterpiece until the next thing we make. Every time we are like Dr. George, the next thing that we make will be the masterpiece and it will replace the previous thing, making it look like other dog shit afterwards, yeah. okay? But it's just because we're revolutionizing every single thing every time we fucking apply ourselves. <laughs> yes, that is true. If we apply ourselves, gold does froth from it, okay? <laughs> So good if I believed all this shit as well. But it is awesome. I'm close to I am really it. proud of it. It is a masterpiece. Me too. I actually get hyped on my own shit, okay? Yeah, I really like it. It's so good. I think everyone's going to love it. So mm-hmm. September 26th is when it comes out. Six weeks. Monday, dude. You're going to love it. Um, what else can I plug? I'll plug my Fringe Festival shows if you're in Sydney, mm-hmm. October 28th. Is that it? No, September 28th to October 2 I'm doing a bunch of mm-hmm. new stuff at the Sydney Fringe Festival, a lot of new jokes. And in November, November 17 and 18, I believe, yeah, I'm in Tasmania doing Electric Dreams. So if you're in Oof, Hobart, come meal. see it on the 17th. If you're in Launceston, come see it on the 18th. And, uh, yeah, we can talk all about Yeezus because it'll all be out then. So you can, yeah, you know, you can pick my brains about it and shit. Absolutely. And in this podcast feed, we're going to be putting out some after shows about the making ofs while Finding Years is coming out. You can submit questions at our respective social media outlets, Twitter, Instagram, at This Is Lexi, at I Am Cameron James. 
and we'll answer those if we can on the podcasts um, that will be kind of breaking down how we made it behind the scenes antics and all that kind of like stuff that you would hear Chris Hardwick usually do on a TV show but we're doing it ourselves <laughs> on a podcast and then in the future we're just going to give you a glimpse what we do on this podcast may change just a little bit in the future we kind of have been talking so much about what we love doing and we've had such a kind of a revolutionary experience making Finding Jesus and what we love most i would say is discovery and exploring curiosity and i think that uh what we've been doing this podcast has been so much fun and awesome but i think we want to just delve a little bit more in that direction wouldn't you say cam i would say that i think you put it really well there's going to be some changes they're going to be good and Mm -hmm. it's pretty much going to be the same type of show but we'll be talking about things maybe a little bit further away from the silver screen than mm-hmm. we than we normally do. Obviously, pop culture is our area of expertise. It's something that we love exploring. But I think we're just going to open up what we do. Obviously, we're fucking cinephiles and nerds, so it's not going to change too far from that. And everything you love will just be funnier, sillier, crazier, and more in the realm of discovery, which is something that we love to inspire within ourselves and our audiences and each other. So it's just going to be even better than everything we've done before. Like we said, every time we do something new, it's a masterpiece beyond what we could even imagine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, guys. Love you, babies. (laughs) 